problem is not plastic. The problem is the way we use resources. Because if we're going to change single-use plastic for single-use glass, that's going to make things worse. If we change single-use plastic PET with single-use paper, it's going to get worse. Welcome back, everybody. Rich Brubaker, founder of Collective Responsibility, here today with another episode of the Sustainable Monster Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Jean-Marc Simon, who is the founder and co-director of Zero Waste Europe. It's a network of 33 zero-waste groups across 27 European countries with the mission of redesigning relationships with resources. And I love that kind of statement because as someone who's worked in waste for many years, I talk about waste as being a misallocation of valued resources. And I know, Jean-Marc, you've just came back from the Plastic Treaty Conversations you work on systems, you work with supply chains, you work with materials. And so I'm really excited to have you join us to talk about the work that you're doing, the progress you're seeing, and maybe some of the lessons you've learned being in this space for so long. So my name is John Mark, and as you have said, I'm the co-director at Zero Waste Europe. It's an organization that does basically three things. One is uh, to try to change policies, European policies, but together with our local groups, national policies. Second thing we do is try to implement zero waste solutions. So we work with hundreds of municipalities and companies to actually to design uh, waste out of, of the system. And the third thing we do is also, when necessary, we actually convene other stakeholders, be it civil society groups, be it companies, whatever, to make change happen. What is the size and scope of the waste challenge that you see in the work that you're doing right now? So uh, for me, the really the hot topics these days is actually, how do you go to the root of the problem? Of course, recycling is important, but actually how do you create the systems for uh, stuff, be it textiles, be it the packaging, uh, be it uh, food, be it uh, whatever, last a lot longer, be a lot more repairable, uh, have no toxic components in it, and ensure that that's at the end recyclable. But recycling is for us kind of the the end of pipe solution. Like where where are we breaking down from creating those closed loop or those zero waste solutions that you've been hammering on? So on one hand, uh, from the management perspective, uh, a clear issue is collection. We have a problem with actually the fact that most of the waste is not collected, and when we collect it, we don't collect it in a way that is actually uh, suitable for a proper treatment or recycling. But then there's the other challenge as well, that all this production doesn't take into account the fact that this is going to become waste and that there's actually no thinking about uh, how are we going to reintroduce those resources into the economy. So actually, how do you make sure you capture what is in there to make sure it stays in the economy for as long as possible? It's not only an environmental issue, it's a geopolitical issue as well. For most conversations around waste, I'd argue that we use an environmental or sometimes even a moral lens. Like we cannot do this to the world, but you've been mentioning economics quite a bit. What is the balance there that you see? And is there one of those that moves the ball forward faster? Sure. From an economic perspective, one of the problems we have is that uh, waste, it is valuable, but the value of most of the waste out there doesn't compensate the cost of collecting it and recycling. So everything is recyclable. But the truth is that the stuff that we're producing, uh, it takes too much money, too much energy to recycle it. So there's uh, some stuff such as metals, et cetera, that if uh, right volumes are profitable. But for the rest, actually, um, it's not profitable to collect and recycle all that waste. So mm-hmm. from an economic perspective, the question is, how do you change the incentives so that it's um, profitable or at least somebody pays for the collection of uh, and treatment of all this waste? And do you view that as the responsibility of governments or nonprofits or corporates or consumers? Like 
who should make that economic equation work? Well, I think it's a mix, uh, but, but of course the economy is is a social construct. And if the markets don't give the right signs or the right incentives, then it's policymakers who need to create the right framework so that doing the right thing is easier and cheaper than doing the wrong thing. Today, we don't have the regulatory framing for actually for people to do the right thing because it's more expensive and it's, and, and it's harder to work. So why should they? 10, 15 years ago, no one really cared, right? Except for a few environmental NGOs who's waking up and what are they trying to get done it's not because recycling is profitable it's just because the cost for the brands or for the countries to mm. bear with so much for example plastic pollution is becoming so unbearable that uh, they have to take action and what we see is that yes we managed to collect it but we are not recycling that much of it and actually and the volumes continue to increase so actually mm. if we go to the source of the problem yes uh, we have very good collection we have okay recycling but uh, the environmental impact continues to increase. What are the challenges of the recycling end? Do they have the manufacturing base that requires these materials? Is that the problem or is it just the materials themselves aren't really recyclable? Honestly, like most of the materials out there, they are not designed for recycling. Either the alloy is, is too complex or the volumes are too small or the collection is not there. So actually like to have efficient recycling where actually you need volumes, you need the right infrastructure and you need the right incentives that happens for the minor a minority of, uh, of materials. So I want to get to the plastic treaty. Um, I had a lot of friends that were there, including yourself. For the audience that may not have been aware of what was happening. What was this meeting? What brought it about? And what happened? The Global Plastic Treaty is, is an initiative of, uh, of uh, UNEA, UNEA 5 in Nairobi like two years ago. The United Nations Environmental Program got the mandate to draft a, a Global Plastic Treaty. And basically where we are is that on one hand, there's the geopolitical geopolitics of all of this, who has the power in this world to decide what others do. And that's what we saw with like a number of countries, mostly oil producers or plastic producers, uh, having a different agenda from those who are actually suffering the impacts of plastic pollution uh, without having actually like uh, benefiting from it right. um, and and yeah, what we saw is uh, right now we are not yet at the we're halfway to it. Now mm -hmm. the, we, the the secretariat has got the mandate to produce a zero draft treaty, which basically means the first text. And then we'll see uh, what is going to be the scope, uh, what does plastic pollution mean, and what are the tools that are going to be considered. How much misalignment is there right now? Is it a big gap between states or is there actually a common general understanding that we need to fix this and then they're just fixing the, the language or they're just trying trying to to find the common space that they can work together. Well, the key thing here, like with the climate negotiations, is what is the scope, who is responsible, and who pays. There is alignment that we have a, a problem with uh, plastic pollution in the sense that plastic should plastic waste should be collected, it should yeah. be recycled. There you get alignment, and that's probably what you're going to get out of the treaty. Mm. There's not alignment on what plastic pollution is. For example, the oil spills, which is basically the precursor to produce plastic, is that plastic pollution or like plastic nerd nurdles actually like leak, um, leaking or microfibers from textile washing is that uh, plastic pollution there's no alignment on that also are we talking about single-use plastic or are we talking about textiles are we talking about plastics in planes or built environment there's no alignment on that either there's some areas where i think there's going to be action on the collection of single-use plastic in the environment there's going to be the support to actually um for the brands to pay for the collection via epr systems i think that we're going to see mm. but beyond that 
honestly, uh, we need to see. I mean, obviously, I think we can all look out the window and say a lot of things are going wrong, but some progress is being made, right? What, what, are, what are some things that you're seeing that are that are giving you hope that either the stakeholders are coming together finally to address the problem or consumers are finally doing something or... Um, having worked on plastic now since more than 10 years, I can see that the world has changed a lot. It was not long ago when actually you had a big brand such as Coke or, or Pepsi uh, saying that we didn't have a problem with plastic uh, pollution, that the mm. uh, deposit and refund systems were not necessary and actually were campaigning against them. And today you have brands such as Nestle, Coke, uh, Pepsi, Mars, etc., saying that we need reduction in the use of virgin plastics, that we need to reuse targets, that mm. we need to actually make sure that we close the loop for recycling, that we need DRS systems. That is a big change. So from yeah. that perspective, I think we, we are moving forward. How long do you think it'll take Nestle and Coke to actually get to the point where they say they've actually made real progress? If this global plastic treaty give a clear direction, a clear guidelines on what needs to happen, that would be useful. Otherwise, the only way to actually have a fast change is through a proper crisis. And and again, I want to highlight the, the problem we have with, with plastic and this issue is, if we look at packaging, is that we're seeing lots of material substitution. And that's also not good. I mean, the problem with the global plastic treaty is that we're saying that plastic is the problem. And the problem is not plastic. The problem is the way we use resources. Because if we're going to change single-use plastic for single-use glass, that's going to make things worse. If we change single-use uh, plastic PET with single-use paper, it's going to get worse. So actually, we need to be careful with all these uh, substitutions. That's why we need systemic thinking. And that's why you need actually proper policies. A lot of people think, well, bioplastics is better, or corn or sugar-based plastics are better. But in reality, they have a different trade-off. How much awareness do you see right now in that space? Is that a space that we need to solve before we even get to solutions? Or is that commonly understood within the stakeholders that you're engaging with? Well, there's different levels of understanding. But in general, um, I don't think that systemic thinking is there. Because companies, of course, they care about the stuff they put in the market. If you are a chemical company, you want to sell chemicals. So uh, that's that's the limitations. That's the boundaries of, of their systems. And the challenge that we're having is that in any system or system change, you need to set the boundaries of the system. Mm. Um, clearly, we have one planet. Those are planetary boundaries. But how do these boundaries actually translate to the day-to-day -day, mm. uh, decisions in the companies that yeah. we don't have? And I think that's that's the that's the gap. We need to find a way to actually to set these boundaries and then let the market and let the companies operate. In that sense, tell me about the work that you do. Your job has been in this space for quite a while. You've been one of the leaders in Europe on this on this topic. What is the work that you do on kind of a daily basis to turn the ship around, to generate awareness or to support those who are trying to make progress? We are here to uh, create uh, systems and then provide opportunities. So my day-to-day -day work consists of that, basically talk to mm. policymakers, talk to brands, talk to companies, producers, etc., and and try to one uh, bring this holistic picture mm -hmm. to come up with ideas of actually how the boundaries of this system can be articulated. And three, like convene and try to like uh, propose solutions. Sometimes it's in terms in uh, legislation. Some other times it's actually creating certifications. Some other times it's um, yeah engaging in like sometimes even like brainstorming on on how to do things better. So when did waste become your mission? And I guess what catalyzed you into working on this issue? Like was there a you saw a turtle on the with a with a straw coming out of its nose? Like what what drove you to this? 
challenge? That's a good question because honestly, um, I don't have an environmentalist background and uh, I didn't study environmental science or any of this. My background is in economics. I mean, the economics I was learning basically didn't have any boundaries and were disconnected from reality. I mean, like markets were supposed to be perfect and we're supposed to take uh, all rational decisions and, and all this blah, blah. Um, and one day, basically, I was doing some lobby work for different organizations and I found actually a way to connect my past, my training about economics and say, okay, these are, this is a clear symptom that something is not working. And it's a way to actually to bring economics back to the real world. That that's that was basically the catalyst. It was not like one day. It was like when I realized that actually, yes, I'm interested in economics, but I'm interested in a way that actually I make economics uh, work and real for people. But are you driven personally by the emotional side of the environmental problems, or are you more driven by just the the puzzle of trying to figure out this economics? challenge it's both it's both because i think uh you need both you need the, the, the passion actually that's the emotional uh connection to to the topic but there's also this intellectual curiosity that actually has in the impact not only in terms of like resource uh changing the way we build resources it's also seeing how the people change how you build relationships actually the importance of like a, a, a good a community that works well generates less waste than a community that is not properly uh, structured and that mm. for me was quite telling so actually that the root of waste is this is not a technical issue this is a social issue and so what's your process for understanding systems or understanding the big picture is it just conversations is it reading is it going out to the field like what are the things that really helped you gain a good understanding of these systems that you're trying to change that's a good question because obviously that's not something you you get overnight i think you need to read a lot understand how power dynamics work how policies are made how the economy works and how society operates and uh and of course lots of uh, on-site visits understanding also the site of the business, understanding the site of the impacted uh, consumers, etc. All of that is important. Um, mm -hmm. But I think what is important is really to be open and and be and be curious. Uh, like it's important to to focus, but at the same time um, have an open mindset. So I think it's important really like um, to have this holy holistic picture if you want to get a holistic picture. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, I think one of my one of my one of my favorite uh, piece of work was that you know in Shanghai and in China, Asia, you have a lot of informal recyclers who are running around with kind of these little flatbed tricycles. And so it's like a bicycle up front with a kind of a pickup truck back and they'll stack all the recycling. And one day I was like, where does all that go? You know, just being really curious and just where does that go? So my team and I, we started following them around, interviewing them, putting GPS devices into the trash, watching it go on our on our app to figure out where it all went. We we're just really curious. And it was almost like this romantic interest of where your shit goes. You know, it's like what happens to it when you throw it away as interesting as it was, it was also really fun because it fed into economics. It highlighted the people and the work that's being done by those people to, to sort through things. It, it busted a bunch of myths for us as well. Yeah, it's funny, right? Because I mean, what you, what you see is that the data says one thing, but actually the real world is different. You follow the, the informal recyclers and you realize actually that they give a value to materials that is not captured in statistics or in figures. And that, that's very interesting. Yeah. What's the role of passion in your job? How do you maintain it given we see the size scale and scope of this problem actually going the wrong way right now like how do you keep focused on the job when you know that the work you've been doing is still not seeing the the, the reaction you thought it would i mean obviously i mean 20 looking 20 years back 
I thought that we could change things faster mm -hmm. and we definitely need to change things faster. I also look around and say, okay, uh, I think there's like young people who need support and who need hope. And maybe I, I can provide more support and hope <laughs> at this stage. But um, but I think like we are all needed in this transition. And those of us who actually have managed to gather enough knowledge, et cetera, it's important that we stay there. And honestly, I still I still have that passion to actually to see things change. And mm. and that's what keeps me going. Also talking to my children, uh, sure. that really helps because anybody who has children, I think what the world I will leave to them, that is yeah, that is a, that is an issue, but um but yeah, your passion is very important. How do you remain patient during that change? Because I, I think you and I would both agree over the last 10 years, we've seen progress is it as much as we wanted. Probably not. But the fact is, if you looked moment to moment along that path, most rational people would have given up. You have to find a way to remain patient. Um, so how do you remain patient? Um, you know, how, how do you find ways to deliver outsized impact over time? Like, what are some advice around that? At the end of the day, what I would like to uh, give as advice is like, you need to be comfortable with doing what you're doing. It's not a matter of sacrificing yourself and your well-being for something. You also need, to, this needs to make sense. And if you feel that, uh, yeah, you're sacrificing everything for something and it's, you're not getting enough return, that's, that's, I would say that's there's tough. no point continuing there. So actually you need to build your life around, uh, around your passions in a way, but yeah. if it's all about sacrifice, just, it's not worth it. Now, if you were young coming out of university and you're looking at, and waste is the topic you want to focus on. You want to, you want a job, you want a career. What are a couple areas you think that really need young, passionate people to come into the workforce? Is it within brands on material side? Is it nonprofits and activists? Like, where are the jobs as part of this transition to a net zero or a zero waste world? What I see lots of young people coming out of university going into, and I would advise because it's the right thing, is uh, in anything that has to do with uh, reuse systems and new delivery systems. I see lots of innovation in that front. And this innovation is not coming from the big brands. It's coming from young entrepreneurs yeah. uh, that really come like with like crazy ideas. And of course, many of them fail, but then uh, they will try something else. And that's the right thing to do. That's what I see that as going back to the beginning of our conversation, yeah. we need to stop managing waste and need to start actually preventing it. Mm -hmm. And the way to prevent it is actually create systems that don't generate waste in the first place. And the young generations are understanding that. And the young generations, what I see is that um, yeah, dealing with, I'm coaching lots of young entrepreneurs who are like starting these kind of startups on, on reuse. And um, I think we're going to see like a radical uh, change in this field in the next years because this is kind of mushrooming and now they're getting uh, to scale and, and it makes all the sense in the world. Now, if you were young coming out of university and you're looking at, and waste is the topic you want to focus on, you want a, you want a job, you want a career, what are a couple areas you think that really need young, passionate people to come into the workforce? Is it within brands on material side? Is it nonprofits and activists like where are the jobs as part of this transition to a net zero or a zero waste world what i see lots of young people coming out of university going into and i would advise because it's the right thing is uh in anything that has to do with uh, reuse systems and new delivery systems i see lots of innovation in that front and this innovation is not coming from the big brands it's coming from young entrepreneurs yeah. uh, that really come like with like crazy ideas and of course many of them fail but then uh, they will try something else and that's the right thing to do that's what i see 
that as going back to the beginning of our conversation, yeah. we need to stop managing waste and we need to start actually preventing it. Mm -hmm. And the way to prevent it is actually create systems that don't generate waste in the first place. And the young generations are understanding that. And the young generations, what I see is that um, yeah, dealing with, I'm coaching lots of young entrepreneurs who are like starting these kind of startups on on reuse. And um, I think we're going to see like a radical uh, change in this field in the next years because this is kind of mushrooming and now they're getting uh, to scale and, and it makes all the sense in the world.